ask a child what he is afraid of, and chances are he won't have much trouble answering. The dark, thunderstorms, monsters, clowns, things that go bump in the night. Kids know what they fear. Adults sometimes have a harder time saying what scares us. Perhaps our fears are not as simple and straightforward as those of our childhood, but that does not mean that we aren't afraid. Humorist Dave Barry once wrote that all of us are born with a set of instinctive fears, of falling, of the dark, of lobsters, of falling on lobsters in the dark, <laughs> of speaking at a rotary club, and of the words some assembly required. All kidding aside, we do seem to come with our own peculiar set of fears. Over time, we learn to get over some of them, but they tend to be replaced by new ones, darker ones, more complex ones. If a fear is persistent enough, we call it a phobia, and we give it a fancy name. Now, there is a man keeping a running list online of every phobia he has ever found in medical books or in reference books. So far, he is up to 600, and the list is absolutely fascinating. There are the well-known ones, of course, like acrophobia and agoraphobia, arachnidophobia, claustrophobia, xenophobia, and then there are some sophisticated names for some other common fears. The fear of snakes is ophidiophobia. Fear of public speaking is glossophobia. Fear of the number 13, triskaidekaphobia. But there are less common ones as well, things that most of us would never ever think of being afraid of. Things like lutrophobia, which is the fear of otters. Xanthrophobia is the fear of the color yellow. And then there's the fear of long words, which is hippopotomonstro-sq-pedaliophobia. <laughs> and then, of course, there is my personal favorite, homiliophobia, which is the fear of sermons. <laughs> So if any of you out there suffer from that, then my apologies for all of this. We are all afraid of something. We fear the past coming back to haunt us. We fear the future and all that we don't know. We fear getting old, getting sick, getting dead. We fear trying new things. We fear getting stuck in a rut. We fear silence. We fear being alone. We fear losing someone we love. Just listen to the news. There is a lot in this world these days to be afraid of. Now we can't go to a sporting event, the mall, a movie theater, and sadly, even to church, without the fear of violence. Just living your life seems to be a dangerous pursuit these days, doesn't it? Do you think that Jesus was afraid of anything? We tend to assume that he was not, which means we assume that he really wasn't human, doesn't it? 
because fear isn't a sin. It's a human emotion. So if Jesus was human, and he was, then he did get afraid sometimes, didn't he? Fear makes us feel our humanity. I wonder what Jesus' fears were. Whatever they were, he had plenty of time to wrestle with them alone in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. Mark tells us the story today in devastatingly stark terms. His is the briefest possible account, just one verse, hardly any details at all. And if you are acquainted with the stories of the temptation of Jesus, then what you probably have in mind is Matthew's account or Luke's account where we are told exactly how Satan tempts him and exactly how Jesus responds. But we have none of that here. We have just the barest story of a man alone in the desert. Still wet from his baptism, the voice of God ringing in his ears, calling him the beloved, Jesus is driven out into the wild. Not led, not invited, driven. Mark tells us what happens there like this. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. The 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness parallels the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness, and the 40 days that Moses was on Mount Sinai, and the 40-day trip that Elijah took to Mount Horeb. In each one of these stories, there was a crisis, a frightening sense of God's absence. The wilderness symbolized a place of menace, of chaos, of forces hostile to God. Did Jesus feel that too? I think there are a few of us today who have felt that. If you have ever found yourself in a kind of wilderness, a time of isolation, threat, silence, alienation, uncertainty, emptiness, grief, if you have spent time in life's deserts, then you know. You know how it can feel. It can seem like God is very, very far away. It's a very scary time. It can seem like you have been turned over to enemy forces. And in a way, Jesus had been. For 40 days, he was put to the test by Satan. Now, this is a cosmic struggle. It is a test of strength between Jesus and Satan. He faces this alone, but not entirely. Mark tells us that he was with the wild beast angels waited on him. Now, are those beasts friends or enemies? We know where Satan stands in this picture, and we know whose side the angels are on. But what about the animals? Mark, who is not one to waste words, calls them wild, which could mean to say that we are to see them as hostile, aggressive creatures. Now, it's really not difficult to imagine dangerous animals of the desert. Scorpions, spiders, snakes, hyenas, maybe some vultures just sitting around waiting for Jesus to die. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about 
those animals. They are the ones that make us shudder. They are the stuff of phobias. They are the ones that make us think of death. But Mark does say that Jesus was with the wild animals, and I can't help but see them not necessarily as adversaries, but as companions. Haven't some of you had the experience of being totally alone in your sadness or anxiety or anger or confusion and finding comfort in an animal friend? Sometimes they offer better solace than any human we know. When I was a child I, and I was upset, I would find my cat. I would bury my face into her side and cry hot tears into her fur, and she would just lie there and take it. And I remember I could feel her purring through my eyelids. And that sound, that feeling of a little beast purring into my eyes was one of my earliest paths to God. Because I began to feel that there is this silent, compassionate presence even when no one else in the world seems to understand me. And there's no reason to think that God is found only in the sanctified places because any part of creation can mediate divine love. God comes to us in whatever ways we can receive him. And now maybe that was how it was for the animals for Jesus. Not there to stalk or attack or devour, but to offer quiet companionship in lonely times. Foxes, wild goats, and sand cats, did they offer their own wild form of solace in that very lonely, desperate place? And what about the more prickly creatures, the reptiles, the arachnids, the predators? Were they somehow subdued in the presence of Jesus? Did they become his friends? Many theologians have seen this story as a kind of answer to the story of Adam in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was a fracture between humankind and the animal kingdom. And Christ comes as the new Adam. And with his presence, the wilderness is transformed into a new paradise. The animals did not lose their wildness. But in Christ, at that moment, a kind of peaceable kingdom came near. His presence with the wild beast can be seen as a sign of the final reconciliation and wholeness that God will make possible through Christ. There is this wonderful children's book that we used to read to our kids when they were little, Where the Wild Things Are. It tells the story of a little boy named Max who wears a wolf suit and creates lots of mischief. And he is sent to bed without dinner and while he is there, he imagines sailing away to where the wild things are. You might remember the story. The author writes, And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. Till Max said, Be still, and tamed them with the magic trick of staring all into their yellow eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened 
and called him the most wild thing of all and made him king of all wild things. That sounds a little bit like Jesus to me. King over all the wild things who faces what is scary and says, be still, hush, stop. In the late 1930s, English artist Stanley Spencer set out to create 40 paintings of Christ in the wilderness, one for each day that Jesus was there, with the idea that they would be displayed in his church for Lent. Now, in the end, he wasn't able to complete the series. He produced 18 sketches from which he painted eight pictures, beautiful scenes. And in his vision, Jesus existed in harmony with the wild things of the desert. There's one particular painting, the scorpion, that Jesus is seen with a bushy beard and unkept hair. And he sits on the ground with his hands cupped in his lap. And there in his hands is a scorpion, a potent symbol of the pain, destruction, and poison that lurks in our world. But Jesus is holding it. And he is looking down on it so quietly, so thoughtfully. There's no fear, no flinching, no blinking. His hands hold what we fear. His love bears what we are afraid of. He can hold a scorpion. He can face the grave. And he can ask, where is your sting? And that is what he did in the desert for us. He faced his own fears and ours. He faced his own temptations and ours. He looked the wild things in their eyes and told them to be still. He was tested by Satan and he prevailed. In the other paintings that Spencer made of Christ in the wilderness, he relocated various teaching moments in the life of Christ there back into the desert. The things that happened long after Jesus left the desert, he had returned them back to the desert. And he pictured them in there. It was as if to say that everything about Jesus' ministry flowed out of this experience in the wilderness. And it did. He carried this experience with him. And later on in his life, rather than fleeing the wilderness, he would seek it out. The wilderness became a part of him. And he became a part of it. He is a part of every wilderness experience we have. Whether we recognize him or not, there is no lonely place that he is not there. There is no fear that he is not standing beside us. He faces our terror. He faces our desert places with us. But he didn't just show us the way through them. He himself became the way. The wilderness is an essential experience for each of us. We are called to follow Jesus into the wild sometimes. But fear never comes from God. Every single event in life is an opportunity to choose faith over fear. Fear is a spiritual invitation to move into wilderness time, 
to expose our lives to the harsh, honest light of the desert, to allow Jesus to come into our situation and claim it. When we are afraid, we need to use that time to recommit ourselves to the hard work of clarifying who we are and whose we are. It is a good time to ponder what we have been running from, what we've been pretending isn't there. We may not be able to name our fears very easily, but if we cannot find a way to be truthful about what we are afraid of, then there is a good chance we are letting it drive us. We make so many bad choices out of fear. Fear is a time to get honest, to face what is hard, and to let our fears teach us about ourselves, about what we believe, and about the God who is bigger. Do you know what your fears are? What are your wild beasts? Do you know that Jesus has already walked among them and can tame them and can even convert them into friends? Those beasts will teach us if we let them. Jesus is right here to lead us if we let him. Many things happen to us in the course of a lifetime. In life, you may be transferred, enlisted, commissioned, imprisoned, reassigned, unemployed, hospitalized, widowed, or divorced. But, and brand this on your heart, life will never take you where God is not already there. There was a 17th century French theologian, Francis Fenelon, who once wrote, What are you afraid of in following God? Are you afraid of too much goodness? Finding a too loving God? Because in the end, that's what we will find. Beyond the wilderness, beyond the wild beast, beyond any fear or any threat, there is this. An all-powerful, good, and loving God that knows your name and totally adores you. Indeed, in light of that, what is there really to be afraid of? Pray with me, my friends. Gracious God, the life of faith sometimes is harder than we bargained for. But God, you will not abandon us, not to the storms or the deserts of life. Rather, you will come to our fear-ridden hearts, reminding us once again that we are your beloved children and calling us to greater faith. May it be so in our lives today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.